Tickets are now available for the 100th episode News Weekly, live on January 19th, 7pm at the Comedy Republic in Melbourne. Head over to thesamishah.com, that's T-H-E-S-A-M-I-S-H-A-H.com for the ticket link. Patreon subscribers, of course, get a discount, so become a subscriber by going to patreon.com slash samishah, that's S-A-M-I-S-H-A-H, to support the podcast. Top Stories of the Week I say war criminal, you say Kissinger. Also, Channel 7 is Centrelink for dick bags. All that and more on Newsweekly. Hello and welcome to Newsweekly, where we punch the news in the headlines weekly. The pause fire ends news now. And it's over. Over the last week, a series of hostages and prisoner exchanges between Israel and Hamas saw a much-needed pause in the bombing of Gaza. As of this recording, 104 hostages have been released by Hamas, with 143 still remaining in Gaza, according to Israel's official account. That's not counting the two hostages so far confirmed as dead. It wasn't quite a ceasefire. More of an intermission, if you will. And look, no one thought it would last. Hamas certainly didn't want it to last because it prevented them from continuing with their time-honoured strategy of wiping out Israel by firing a shitty homemade rocket that dents a roof in Tel Aviv, then hiding behind children and claiming this is all a jihad. Hey, if it hasn't worked so far, it might not continue to work forever. But maybe Hamas leadership thinks it's better to have a terrible idea than no idea at all. And Israel didn't want the ceasefire because while the families of hostages were briefly happy and hopeful, everyone else is still a big believer in the theory that if you bomb Palestinians into dust, then subjugate them with colonial occupation that starts at cruelty and ends at sadism, the entire problem will be resolved, even though that's never worked before in the history of modern warfare. The entire Israeli approach is saying Hamas cannot continue to exist, as though the PLO didn't spend most of the second half of the 20th century committing terrorism as well, and is now seen as a reliable and trusted toothless partner in Israel's domination of the West Bank. It turns out, Israeli leadership thinks it's better to keep doing terrible things than anything else at all, really. But we did briefly get a pause in the killings. In Gaza. Israel has killed over 250 Palestinians in the West Bank so far, but they don't count, because if Israel does it, apparently it's not worth worrying about. With the absence of an actual daily rising death toll, it gave the world an opportunity to exhale. Consider the destruction, see everything from a less urgent standpoint, and then decide, nah, let's just keep being crazy. The most batshit thing so far has been people watching videos of the prisoner releases and then thinking Hamas are the good guys. In this video provided by Hamas, we see a mother and her daughter smiling as they are transferred to the Red Cross, while their captors adopt a benevolent attitude. They even say goodbye in English. Clear instructions are also given to the hostages to wave goodbye. Since the first hostages were released, Hamas has continued to share propaganda videos of the releases. 
Those videos are being seen as evidence that Hamas is really nice to hostages, particularly on TikTok, where the greatest political analysts of our generation can be found posting reaction videos, where they point over their heads to Hamas footage and cheer, and then watch IDF footage and make frowny faces before then jumping into synchronized dances, making an inadvertent argument for the mass sterilization of everyone on the app. It somehow hasn't occurred to those defending Hamas that the hostages who are smiling are probably smiling because they're finally free, or possibly even because they were told to smile by Hamas, who still has over 100 hostages, many of whom are family members of the ones released. Or maybe there wouldn't be hostages in the first place if Hamas hadn't taken them hostage. To be fair, this kind of searing analysis is what can be expected from people who didn't know about American support for Israel until they read a letter written by Osama bin fucking Laden. That's like discovering smoking causes lung cancer because Hitler wrote about it in his little self-help book. Now, I want you to remember, everyone on the pro-Palestinian side isn't pro-Hamas, just as everyone on the pro-Israeli side isn't pro-Netanyahu. Did I just compare Netanyahu and his government to Hamas? Yes, I did, and you'll get over it. But does that mean some on the pro-Palestinian side are definitely pro-Hamas? Pro-Palestinian activists are facing condemnation tonight after an ambush protest inside a Melbourne hotel targeted families of Israelis killed or kidnapped by Hamas. Look, I'm not a political activist trying to win the support of the world to help end the suffering of my people, so maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. But if I was, maybe when the families of people taken hostage by Hamas come to Melbourne, I visit them and I share my support for them and I say all our families are victims of war and we should work together to help end this conflict. Instead of maybe doing this. A pro-Palestine protest aimed solely at grieving families. Their target, a group of Israeli delegates staying at Melbourne's Crown Plaza Hotel. Five families and friends, all with loved ones, either murdered or kidnapped by Hamas. Physically blocking the way to the elevators. So we're completely in shock because this was supposed to be our safe place in Melbourne. They were armed with signs and bloody dolls. This might be why the pro-Palestine protests are running out of speakers who can articulate why the suffering of Gazans needs to be focused on and are now relying on the official bottom of the decolonization barrel, Lydia Thorpe. I haven't been able to go to Parliament to do my job and stand up against the racist colonial system that we have to endure in this country every day. But I'm going back tomorrow, in fact today, into that chamber tomorrow morning. That's the only time in a five-minute speech where she mentioned Palestinians. It's starting to seem that the only ones doing more damage to the credibility of the Palestinian cause than Hamas are the Palestinian supporters in Australia. Now, the reason why those hostage videos are having the desired effect is because they do stand in stark contrast to the testimonies of Palestinian children being released from Israeli prisons at a rate only slightly slower than Israel can fill them up with Palestinian children. The situation inside the jails is really bad. They banned us from leaving the cells. The food was really bad. They kept us hungry. Shower time is so short. The situation is really catastrophic. They threaten us that if we celebrate upon our release, they will put us back in jail. Prison is by default a difficult place as we lose our freedom. 
But after October 7th, the prisons became much more difficult. We couldn't get our basic needs as women and as humans. The tap water tastes like chlorine. We used to buy bottled water, but even that became off limits for us. We have suffered a lot in prisons, more than 50 days, no water. We were uh, drinking uh, unclean water. We did not have any food and they, we've been humiliated on our way back. They've always treated, treated us in a very bad way and they knock on the door all the time. We've been beaten up. We've entered a phase of total isolation. We lived in exile. We left a graveyard. I was released naked in my boxes without a phone or anything. We've been tortured in jail. We heard difficult cries from other sections, especially prisoners from Gaza, and so a lot of blood. And if that doesn't confirm that both sides are still locked in, what many experts are calling an eternal and doomed death spiral into oblivion, then there's Israel's continued attacks on the West Bank. As Israel's military operation in Jenin came to an end, so did the life of Adam Al-Ghul, shot as he ran, his eight-year-old body easily dragged from the road. You can see the destruction left by the Israeli operation here. This is something people in the camp are used to, but... Today, it's the human damage that people are really focused on. Israel said it used live fire to shoot suspects hurling explosive devices at them in Jenin. The UN says more than 50 children have been killed by Israeli forces in the West Bank since the 7th of October attacks. Today, that list grew longer. And then while that's happening, this is happening. Three people are dead, multiple others injured in a shooting right outside Jerusalem. That all happened shortly after Israel and Hamas extended their ceasefire in order to exchange more hostages for yet another day. Hamas took credit for that attack while also promising more, with the leader of Hamas in Gaza, Yahya Sinbar, saying, quote, October 7th was just a rehearsal. Meanwhile, Netanyahu's government passed a new two-year budget, which included a controversial $4 billion in discretionary funds, much of it for ultra-Orthodox and pro-settler parties. All of which means no one has learnt any lessons, this will all keep happening, and we're going to watch it happen for the rest of our lives. Netanyahu taking the time out to continue pushing for the survival of his government was a surprise, given that he's more recently taken on the role of a tour guide for Elon Musk. Meanwhile, Tesla boss Elon Musk has visited Israel, meeting with its president and prime minister. He toured a kibbutz that was attacked by Hamas on October the 7th. Musk described it as extremely disturbing and denounced anti-Semitism. That denunciation of anti-Semitism came a few days after Musk was publicly anti-Semitic. Well, Elon Musk, who is certainly feeling the heat tonight from advertisers over at X, the site formerly known as Twitter, after he endorsed a tweet that Jewish communities... Um, this was the tweet that Jewish communities push the same hatred they want people uh, to stop using against them. Um, and to that message, Elon Musk said, you have said the actual truth. Uh, computing giant IBM has since suspended its advertising on the platform after its ads were placed next to similarly anti-Semitic posts. You know you went too far with anti-Semitism when IBM gets upset, given that they worked with the Nazis in World War II. Seriously, they leased punch card machines to Nazis to, quote, calculate exactly how many Jews should be emptied out of the ghettos each day and to transport them more efficiently on railways leading to the camps. I'm serious, look it up. All in all, Musk's ex may lose up to $75 million in ad revenue, which is probably why he did the most anti-anti-Semitic thing he could do and went to Israel to pose in an attacked kibbutz.
and it worked. Everyone forgot and forgave him, which is right up until the moment he was interviewed at a New York Times-sponsored conference a few days later and proved if you're going to have fuck you money, you should at least say fuck you. Uh, don't advertise. You don't want them to advertise? No. What do you mean? If, if somebody's going to try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, go fuck yourself. But go yourself. Is that clear? I hope it is. So with anti-Semitism only worth condemning if non-billionaires do it, the ongoing ceasefire likely to end sooner rather than later given both Hamas and the Israeli government want to return to fighting, Palestinian civilians continuing to die in Gaza from disease and in the West Bank from a combination of settler violence and the IDF's commitment to stretching the limits of the phrase collateral damage, and attacks in Israel continuing with Hamas taking the credit while people on social media continue to attack each other and all opinions are evidence of either Hamas support or Zionist settler colonialism, we're all really in need of some good news. Henry Kissinger is dead. News now. That's right, the universe finally threw us a comet trail of joy in the unrelenting galaxy of misery that we occupy. Former US Secretary of State, noted war criminal, and 1972 winner of a Playboy poll for Man the Playboy Bunnies most wanted to go out on a date with, I'm not making it up, you can look it up, Henry Kissinger is dead. That's right, his body now matches the state his soul and conscience have been in for decades. Fox News alert, Dr. Henry Kissinger has died today at his home in Connecticut at the age of 100. Kissinger played a major role in American foreign policy across several decades. He was Nixon's national security advisor, then secretary of state under Presidents Nixon and Ford. Played a central role in reopening America to China, negotiating the end of the Yom Kippur War in the Middle East and helping to bring America's role in the Vietnam War to a close. He's survived by his wife of 50 years, two children, and five grandchildren. People who didn't survive him are the over 1,700,000 who died in Vietnam from 1968 to 1975, periods of conflict that wouldn't have happened if Kissinger hadn't helped Nixon derail the peace talks that Lyndon B. Johnson had almost concluded, just so Nixon could get elected. Or the hundreds of thousands of Cambodians killed by bombing campaigns Kissinger personally supervised in contravention of international law, which resulted in the fall of the Cambodian government and direct rise of the Khmer Rouge, which went on to murder two million of its own population. Nor was he survived by the thousands of Chileans killed under the dictatorship of Augusto Pinochet, who overthrew the democratically elected Salvador Allende with direct supervision from Kissinger or even the over 30,000 civilians killed by the Argentinian general, Jorge Rafael Videla, whose coup Kissinger helped orchestrate before personally securing over $50 million in funding from Congress, much of which would be used to capture and torture political prisoners. Then there's the between 300,000 and 500,000 Bangladeshis, whose slaughter at the hands of the Pakistani military Kissinger backed, even helping send arms to expand the warfare. None of them survived him either. Kissinger lived to be a hundred and was celebrated and loved by everyone from Hillary Clinton to Benjamin Netanyahu, which means his death makes them a little bit sad, which makes me a whole lot happy. Get you someone who looks at you the way Channel 7 looks at men accused of crimes news now. The property market in Australia is continuing to prove challenging for aspiring homeowners to rent, with house prices soaring while rising interest rates limit the ability of young Australians everywhere, forcing many of them into poorly regulated rental markets, often holding down multiple jobs just to pay the rising rent, or getting Channel 7 to pay it for them. 
If you've been accused of raping someone in Parliament, then you might qualify for financial support if you apply to Channel 7's new rent relief program. Rolled out after the success of Channel 7's employment program for veterans accused of war crimes named Ben Robert Smith. The evidence of Channel 7's innovative approach to breaching journalistic ethics while also providing patronage to a man accused of sexual assault in not one but two cases came to light in Bruce Lehrman's ongoing defamation trial. Bruce Lehrman was not named in the project's interview with Brittany Higgins in 2021, but he claims he was defamed by the segment in which his former colleague detailed a sexual assault allegation. Lehrman maintains he's innocent and claims the interview has destroyed him. Him. On the night the interview aired, Lehrman said in an affidavit that he went home, had some friends over and couldn't sleep. Today, he was asked whether he ended up going out all night but couldn't recall. Only he has been shown a text message he sent at one in the morning to a person who he's agreed was a drug dealer. Outside of court, video has emerged of Lehrman singing a version of the Clash song, I Fought the Law. I fought the law and... <laughs> the video is inadmissible in court, but is further evidence of him being a giant fuck-knuckle, as is his lawyer, as evidenced by his approach to cross-examining Brittany Higgins. Arriving in a black dress, the focus today was on her white cocktail dress worn the night she was allegedly raped by Bruce Lerman in Senator Linda Reynolds' Parliament House office. He has denied any wrongdoing. His lawyer today grilling her about wearing the dress again six weeks after that night, sitting next to Senator Reynolds at a Liberal Party function. Miss Higgins today saying, It was my favourite dress. I used to wear it all the time. I was trying to reclaim it. Sometimes you can shake off the association from an article and try to make it yours again. In this instance, I thought I could. I couldn't. I never wore it again. Mr Lerman's barrister honed in on her sending selfies in the dress to a male friend. You took those photos and sent them because you hadn't been sexually assaulted in that dress. Miss Higgins replied slowly and definitively, I understand that's what you're putting to me. That's incorrect. The court proceedings are being watched by tens of thousands of Australians on a live stream like it's a fucking episode of a new reality TV show, I'm an alleged rapist, get me out of here. The case continues with legal experts believing Australian journalism, the justice system and political system will likely be found guilty. That's it for this week's edition of News Weekly. Like I said, tickets are available for the live News Weekly show at thesamishah.com. You can head over there and buy them now. They should be available on the Comedy Republic website as well very soon. It's taking place on January 19th at 7pm at the Comedy Republic in Melbourne. I cannot wait to see as many of you there as can make it. If you cannot buy tickets but you still want to support the podcast, head over to patreon.com slash samishah, that's S-A-M-I-S-H-A-H, or just head over to iTunes iTunes, leave a five-star review, uh, five-star rating rather, and review for the podcast. It really helps as always. Otherwise, I'll see you right back here next week on News Weekly, where we punch the news in the headlines weekly.